You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John, the only man to become a B-list YouTube celebrity with a $200 camera. Hello and welcome back to the Chef John Podcast. We are here with you on episode six. Thank you and we are so happy you're back and we are hoping that you are enjoying what we've been putting out there for you. So remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and go to our website, Chef John Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and our website, thechefjohnpodcast.com. And please, a five-star review goes a really long way to keep the Chef John Podcast happy, fed, and continuing to be able to bring you quality content that you can enjoy. And don't forget to leave a comment also. Anybody can leave a five-star review, whether they mean it or not. But we need you to follow it up with a nice comment about the show or a not nice comment about the show. To be quite frank, we don't care what you write. But give us some feedback, and we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for covering me, John, as always. As always. Enjoy. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. I've been thinking a lot about transportation and how it intersects with our lives in so many different ways. And quite often, specifically during the pandemic, I was, you know, thinking a lot about how much time I spent eating in my car. Eating in a vehicle is always challenging. And there's always this situation where you're worried about spilling things. And it's just not always a great situation. And even when you're like traveling on a plane or some mode of transportation, the food is always kind of secondary to the experience. So I was like thinking a lot about this. And I was wondering about your recollections of transportation and food and where they intersect. Well, it reminds me of a couple of stories. One funny and not a bad experience. And the other one, super funny, but at the time, a horrific experience. (laughs) And that was the time I, well technically stole someone's limo at the Philadelphia airport on my way to Atlantic City. All right. I got invited by a hotel there to come as a quote unquote food writer. In a past life, I actually had a press credential from the New York Times because I worked on a website that they previously owned. But anyway, I get invited to this hotel for a little food tour of the properties and so forth. And they took care of the flight in the hotel, of course. And they said, you know, when you get to the airport, there'll be a gentleman there, a limo driver with your name, placard, just look for the name. And we'll see you at the hotel in the morning and safe travels. So anyway, very excited. So excited. This is the first time I'm ever going to have someone waiting for me with my name for a limo. I've been in many airports. I've seen that thousands of times and always kind of, you know, you're always kind of envious, like, man, look at that. That dude's not waiting for a super shuttle. So anyway, <laughs> I get to the airport. I got my camera out. I'm going to capture the moment. Not Shove John, just John Mitsuwich at that point. Going to be on this piece of cardboard. Uh, come down the escalator and I see a bunch of names and half a dozen limo drivers, but I see no John Mitsuwich sign. <laughs> so I'm thinking, all right, I get the tardy limo driver. That's fine. I wait for my luggage. No problem. Anyway, 20 minutes goes by. Everyone gets their stuff off the carousel, filters out of the terminal. And it's just me standing there with one other guy. And it's a limo driver there to pick up a Tim Moriarty. So you know, now everyone's literally gone off this flight. I Kind of walk up. I'm saying, "Excuse me, are you you know here to pick up someone for Harris uh, for the food show?" He's like, "Yeah, uh, Tim Moriarty." I said, "Well, actually, I think you might have the wrong name because I'm the only person on this flight going to that hotel for that event." And he had the flight number. He had all the info. Just the name was wrong. He calls his people. 
I try to call the PR person at the hotel and, you know, it's too early. It's, it was a red eye. It's probably like six in the morning. Anyway, he finally comes back and says, you know what? They said, it's cool. I can take you. We can straighten it out, whatever. Not sure where Tim is, but we'll find him. So I said, you know what? I appreciate it. Can you do me a favor though? I'd hate to waste this opportunity to sort of film a little funny thing for my blog. Would you mind if I filmed you grabbing my luggage? I'm just going to say a few things on the way and film the inside of the limo. Guy was very cool. Oh, of course, sir. No problem at all. So anyway, as he's grabbing my luggage, I'm doing a film like I'm pretending to be that famous episode on Seinfeld where they're stealing the limo. I'm like, oh, my God, my limo didn't show, but Tim Moriarty's did. I wonder if this will work. I'm going to just try to tell him I'm Tim Moriarty and slide right in here. And oh, my God, it worked. So I'm doing these like quick cuts. And all right, now I'm getting a little nervous, but we're walking to the limo. Let's see how they set Tim up. Oh my God, look at that bar. We got refreshments. We got snacks. Anyway, so I'm doing this whole shtick all the way to the hotel. Like I got over on who Tim Moriarty and whoever sent a limo for him. Get to the hotel, talk to the PR people. Yes, mix up with the name. Your name was on the coming down from New York in the limo list. Tim's was on the airport list. No harm, no foul. So that was kind of just a little bit of a running gag with the writers over that weekend. Go back to San Francisco, had a great trip. Met my good friend who I've only met once, Guy Freddy, was part of the one of the events. He actually did a little bit on my camera for the blog. I remember that was my first like chef I ever got on film, pretending to know who I was. <laughs> Three weeks goes by, totally pretty much forgot about the trip. And my doorbell rings in San Francisco and a very serious looking person <laughs> is at the front door, hands me an envelope and says, you've been served papers by so-and-so, you know, whatever the name of the law firm was or the plaintiff. And I'm like, what's, you know, you, I, I've never been served with papers before. I didn't know even how to handle it. So I open it up and the first page says they're suing me for stealing the limo and they want $385 for the ride. And I'm like, are they kidding me? This is like, talk about BS. So quickly though, I forgot about that because the second page was a $1 million claim for torturous interference with a contract. Because I apparently stole the limo, made them look bad to the hotel because they would be able to be tricked into taking the wrong person. So that harmed their contract. So now I owe a million, 385. So I turn the third page now of this document says uh, $1 million copyright infringement. I filmed their logo uh, from in the, inside their uh, limo or on the door of their limo. The fourth was another $1 million suit. Anyway, it ended up being like close to $4 million that they were suing me for. That's an expensive limo ride. And I'm like, where am I going to get this kind of money? I don't, you know, they don't pay food writers. Even if I was a food writer, which I'm not, they don't pay that well. So uh, I call Harris and get their legal guy on the phone. And I said, you know, do me a favor. Could you tell your limo vendor not to sue your invited guest for $4 million when you get a chance? I'd appreciate it. So... They're, of course, horrified. Anyway, call me back. They're like, you know what? They've already filed everything. We can't do anything. In fact, I can't even talk to you now because it's under litigation. So I'm like, well, this is so not helpful to me. <laughs> you, you invited me. You put the wrong name on the sign or sent the wrong limo to the wrong place with the wrong name. You know, the casino should have enough money to pay for this. You would think. Yeah, you're right. It's not like it's at other guys' casino. Then I could understand that you're right. tapped out. I ended up fighting this thing via mail for over a year and a half. They would not drop the suit. I sent them all the emails about, yeah, I was invited. It was a joke video. Clearly, anyone that sees it 
you can tell I'm just pulling their legs on the video. It's not even a serious, like, oh, watch me steal a limo. So anyway, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> so the end of the story, which almost made it all worthwhile. I had a friend of mine who was a fan of the show and you can fight a civil suit in Jersey via mail. So he sort of would proofread my letters, make sure I didn't say anything that would get me in more trouble. Anyway, he ended up getting them to settle when they realized they weren't getting any money out of me for a blog ad placement for their fine limo company. I don't know who's reading this ad and going to go to Atlantic City and use this horrible company. But anyway, that was the agreement. I would run this ad for whatever it was, six months on my blog. And then I said, you know, I got an idea though. Could you put a disclaimer in there that is webmaster of the blog? It's up to me as far as the exact placement, size, pixel depth, dimensions, blah, 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 all the technical terms you would just not even, you know, notice if you're reading this thing. He's like, okay, he puts it in and they signed it. So I made this ad literally the size of a postage stamp, like below the, you know, the copyright on the bottom of the blog and then down another three inches. And I made it so tiny, you could not read it unless you increase your screen magnification to like 400%. (laughs) And so they got zero play, zero love, zero anything. So that was pretty much the settlement. So the story ended with me paying nothing, me actually annoying them by them not being able to see their ad that they fought so hard for a year and a half to get. So when you say travel and uh, like a food event, that is the first thing I always think of the time I took the $4 million limo ride to Atlantic City. Well, it's better than going to Atlantic City and losing $4 million. And I assume they give it back. I don't know. Is that for keeps when you do that kind of big high roller type gambling? Is there a grace period? Do you get a mulligan? (laughs) Yeah, no mulligan on a $4 million loss. Everything on black. Wait, no, I changed my mind. Sorry, sir. We already spun the wheel. I remember as a kid, my brother and I took a train from New York to Florida. My parents would send us off every summer and usually they would drive us down and then spend a week and then they would go home and we would spend the rest of the summer with our grandparents so my parents could work. But this one summer, they put us on a train because they obviously couldn't get off from work or whatever. So we get on this Amtrak train and we go all the way down to Florida. And the greatest memories we had of this trip was of the meal car because there was like a porter and he was this really lovely man. He was like charged with looking after us. And every six or eight hours, he would come and collect us and bring us to the car to eat. And we had the greatest time like going and it was just so much fun to eat on this train. I have no idea whether the food was any good, but let me help you out. It it wasn't good. No, (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't. But um, it also reminded me of a story you recently told me about your time on a train. (laughs) My short three-day trip from San Francisco to Chicago for my cousin Tony and Nora's wedding, which was a fantastic event. And I mean, you can't really see the western part of the country unless you take this train. I mean, it goes through some spots. Then unless you're like a a billionaire that can rent a helicopter and fly over this land, I'm being literal, it's the only way to see some of this train. And it is just amazing. So I've always wanted to take a train trip. My father, I don't know if you know this or if I've told you this before, worked on Lehigh Valley line. He was a conductor engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's how we actually got to Manchester, New York to meet my mom was uh, on the train. Mm -hmm. By the way, a fun fact, he only hit two cars in his career with the train. Only? Wow. Both the automobile driver's fault, but still, you know, I always had an affinity for trains and, um, so I'm not a big flyer, as you know, 
wedding in Chicago. I tell Michelle, I got this great idea. We're going to get a little um, roomette, whatever they call them, a little sleeping quarters, shower the size of half a phone booth. You can just sleep in and have a semi-comfortable trip. At least that was the theory. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a long train trip, like more than you know a half a day. But for you folks in the audience that haven't, imagine being on an airplane that has turbulence, not huge turbulence, but enough where you're kind of bouncing in your seat. Imagine that for three straight days <laughs> where that minor turbulence just never stops unless you're stopped at a station for the five minute get on and off smoke break stops. So that is not great for the appetite in general, uh, but you're correct. One of the highlights of the trip was the visits to the meal car because, you know, like any place you ever are at, the kitchen, the dining, that's always sort of the center, the heart of the society that you're currently in. We were very excited that meals were going to be happening three times a day. At least have something to break up the day, break up the turbulence. Same turbulence in the meal car, by the way. <laughs> you were just distracted by several things. The first day we get on there, we hear the PA announcer come on. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The dining car will be opening for lunch in 45 minutes. Today's menu is, and they would read on the PA the entire menu, like every item, which is probably, you know, five sandwiches, three salads, a couple entrees. They'd also read the sodas. They'd also read the side dishes. They'd also read the desserts, which were like ice cream, cheesecake, or jello. It's not a lot to do on the train. We hear this and it's like, it's got to be at least five minutes long. Okay, great. So the PA goes off. And then they call your car or they knock on your car when it's your turn to go to the dining car. So you head down there, you get a seat. And then the Mater D, I don't know, were they called Mater D's on train? Maybe not. Let's call them the uh, the meal car talkie guy, the MC of the meal car. So the meal car MC gets up. He says, oh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to start lunch service. Today's menu will be. And he reads the entire menu again. <laughs> word for word, verbatim, same exact script as the PA guy. Only now it's a slightly different sounding guy in person. So Michelle and I are looking at each other like, is there a like they, we, they actually hand you the menus too. Like, is there a reason we got it on the PA and now this guy's reading it? So that's so weird. And of course, the menu never changes. It's the exact same breakfast, exact same lunch, exact same dinner for three days. Nothing's changing. They're not doing seasonal specials. That's what you're getting. By the second day, we realized before every meal, like half hour, 45 minutes, they would read to the entire train, the entire menu, top to bottom, with sides, drinks, desserts, salads, etc. Lunch, dinner, breakfast, didn't matter. And then when you got to the car and you'd sit down, usually starving, they would welcome you and then slowly, very deliberately, very thoughtfully read the entire menu again, word for word, verbatim with the PA. And this happened every meal for three days. And we ended up getting so silly because we're like, I guess the PA announcement makes sense in that people that weren't going to eat are like, hey, uh, cheeseburger sounds good right now. And like, maybe that drums up a little business. But then to reread it after handing you the menu and seating you, making you sit there for five minutes, we could not figure out what was the purpose of this other than maybe some mental torment to make you drink. <laughs> like we couldn't figure out their strategy. Or like you said, these people have nothing to do and all day to do it. 
someone thought, you know what we could do to kill 15 minutes a day? We could just read the menu top to bottom really slowly just to F with people. If you guys have a theory out there, why is the menu read on a train every time before every meal? After you do your five-star review, please leave a comment as to your theory for that. Because I would really, I just really actually still keeps me up at night. Why did they read the menu? Why? Why? Did you order something different each time? You know what? I stuck with the burger for lunch. I think I tried the Caesar one day, but it looked like the greens had been cut before there was steam-powered engines. Like it was old, old greens, like really old greens. By day three, those greens were getting a little long in the tooth. And you know, you've like cooked too long and you know too much about food when you can tell how sharp the cook's knife was that cut the romaine with how big and fat that bruise line is on the cut. You know, it's crushed instead of being cut. So there's a little tip for you kids out there. Use a sharp knife on your vegetables and your herbs if you want them to not uh, break down. But anyway, no, I think I stuck pretty much with the same things. There were certain safer, we thought, choices. Um, I'm an adventurous eater, but I'm not getting the fish special on the Amtrak. (laughs) That sushi bar JFK looks great, but... I'm going to stick with the vending machine candy bar, I think, just to play it safe. Yeah. Of course, after the trip, though, this all sort of worked out because then you get off the train in Chicago, one of America's great food cities, obviously, and we just gorged on amazing food for the next three days and then had to come back on the train, which was exactly the same, except you look out of a different window and you get paired up. I forgot to add that. To, to make this a little more special of an experience, you are seated with complete strangers against your will. You have no say. And it's never, ever a pairing they think about. They just like, you're sitting there. Good luck with that. One day we got a very enthusiastic breastfeeder. You know me, I'm not shy. I'm, I'm Do your thing. I, I don't care. But it was just so, seemed over the top. Uh, like everyone is really going to enjoy the feeding of this child right now. Anyone within 10 feet of this area, uh, we're going to be passing this kid around. We're going to be taking breaks. The dad's going to hold the kid, but I'm not going to do anything to my attire while the dad holds the kid. Oh, wow, I'm just, wonderful. I'm, I'm just going to eat a little bit of my salad. And then the father, and I don't know why I remember this one detail, but the kid at one point in between feeding with mom, he was grabbing the sugar packets and like flinging the sugar packets. And the dad says, out of the blue, unsolicited, oh, sugar, the other white powder. You and I have spent some time at a ballpark together. That is a story for another day. Mm -hmm. But one of my bit controversial, outrageous food takes is that I am absolutely and positively over the hot dog. I don't eat hot dogs any longer. As much as I am a big meat eater, I love meat. I eat meat in all forms. I do not enjoy a hot dog any longer. And on top of that, speaking of baseball, I think traditional baseball park food is not just overrated, but just kind of awful. So those are my outrageous food takes for today. Yeah, that is outrageous because I could not disagree more. (laughs) Uh, And first of all, I want to thank you for finally clarifying why you were asked to leave New York for the Jersey Shore. <laughs> Excuse me. It is the Jersey Coast. The Jersey Coast. Yes. Sure. 
any New Yorker that publicly admits they don't like hot dogs, it's like, excuse me, sir, you're going to have to leave to the Jersey coast, which is what we're calling the Jersey shore. Now, you know, the difference actually kidding aside, the difference between the Jersey shore and the Jersey coast. What's that? About $1.75 a square foot. (laughs) Okay. I'll take it. So congratulations there. Now, as far as your other ridiculous take that ballpark food is bad, we know that going in, like you go to the movie and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they don't have real butter. It's like, no, you're there for the yellow oil on the popcorn. That's how it's supposed to taste. If you want butter, stay home in, in Netflix. And what do the kids say? Netflix and uh, Chill. eat po- popcorn, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. Chill's fine. I have the opposite problem out here in California because you go to a Giants game. I would kill for someone to show me where the hot dog stand is. We have everything. And I'm sure there's a few. I see people eat them. But you have to hunt for an actual hot dog or like a typical ballpark food that you are over. We have like sushi wrapped in tofu skin, deep fried, served with a shiratsa aioli. And you want regular fries? Too bad. You're getting Gilroy garlic fries. (laughs) Artisan garlic chopped to order in parsley, free range parsley. So yeah, I actually miss... Sounds weird, but I actually missed the days where you went to the ballpark and your decision was hot dog or Polish. You're right. If you're lucky, maybe you get a bratwurst mixed in if you got the right booth. Okay. Which is always the thing that bothered me at a ballpark. All those booths look the same, but for no apparent reason, one serves the hot dog and the bratwurst, and then the one you go to just has the hot dog. Oh. you ever notice that? All the stalls are like identical, but the one will have three different beers like Coors Light, Bud, and Heineken. And then the booth that looks exactly the same, like one section over has like Coors Light, Miller, and then like three micro brews. It just never makes any sense. And it's like, who decides this stuff? So anyway, I'm rambling. But uh, one of the joys of going to a game is the bad hot dog, the questionable pretzel, the flat overpriced beer, because it just seems like it's part of the experience. So I actually wish I could find those things. You go to Yankee Stadium, they have all that still. Okay. I'm not over the ballpark food, although I am over the ballpark. So that's a different story. Now that I'm old and lazy, I'm like, should we go to the park or should we just sit on the couch and watch the game? You know, I think before the pandemic, I was definitely of the mindset that I prefer to be on the couch watching the game with my own food. But now having watched nothing but sports from my television for the past 18 months, I would like to go to a game one of these days. You ready for a hard seat and a soft drink? A hard seat and a soft drink and some really horrible nachos. And if there is not a baseball fan book called that, we got to get our production team on copywriting that. Let's get legal on that one. Let's get our legal department. First, let's hire a legal department and then we'll get them on that. Don't tell people that. We already threatened them with legal three episodes ago. It's only a matter of time. No, no, they're fine. No one's getting sued unless they don't leave a review and a comment. Okay, that's true. And we know who you are.